last time, I promise. First service, I uh, I got an amen on that. That's good, all right? First service, uh, Landry Holmes, Landry Janetta, part of our church. Landry, they, on first service, they sit up in the balcony. Janetta has to get back downstairs for preschool stuff. And I saw her at, in between, and she said, Landry can't watch the video. I said, well, he said the whole time he just sits there and looks at his phone and says, I can't look at it, I can't look at it. So no more, all right? No more of that. All right, we're in a series called Breathing Room. We're finishing it up today. And the point of this series has been that we all need margin in our life. We all need space in our life, places where we can breathe, where we can relax, where it doesn't, we're not right at the edge on everything we do. And I'd highly encourage you, if you haven't been here or you've missed one of the sermons in this series, they're all online and you can find it actually just at fbcgoodlitzfield.com slash breathing room. You can find it there pretty easily and would invite you to go there and look at that. All the sermons are up because we've really talked about, uh, today's the conclusion of it, and so we set it up in the first week and then we talked about it specifically in your schedule and in your finances. And today we're going to talk a little bit about relationships. But before we do that, I, I just want to start by taking kind of the temperature of the audience here today, all right? And so I believe that in life there are two kinds of people. There are dog people and there are cat people, amen? So here's the thing, all right? First of all, we're going to see dog people first. So all of you that are dog people, let me see your hands. Now I want you to look on the screen, look at that. Now how can you, how can you not be a dog person with that, all right? So let me see your hands again. Dog people, let me see your hands. All right. All right, now let's see cat people. How many cat people we got out there? We need to know who we pray for. Look at this. Look at, we got, I mean, how can you like that? How, who, who are the cat people again? We need to get, we need to be able to pray for you a lot, right? Basically, there are two kinds of people in this world. Dog people, the right kind, and cat people, the ones we pray for and Work. I mean, that is, an, that is not a pretty creature. All right. Here's the thing. At our house, we have recently added a dog. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. We have a puppy. This is our puppy. This is Jack. That's our new dog. Let me tell you how we got Jack. Generally, I'm a dog person. All right. Um, we, uh, I say generally, I'm completely a dog person. All right. Um, we went home for the holidays. We went home for Thanksgiving. And uh, while we were at home, our in-laws, Cat, had a litter of kitties that had been born. Uh, this was the third litter in about a year. And so they had exhausted all people with which to give a cat to. Now, I, I just want you to know, um, at least one of my children is highly allergic to cats. Okay? But we had a, I know, I know, parents, you've never had this. Just we had to have one of those cats. And life could not go on as we know it has existed without one of those cats. So I was the bad guy and said, no cat. So on the way home, I realized I'm either going to have to get a cat or a dog. So we have Jack, all right? And we've had Jack for just a few days. And here's what I love about dogs. Jack, when I walk in the door, acts like I am the greatest person who has ever existed in the history of the world. 
right? I mean, there's jumping, there's let me out, let me give me a hug, he licks my face, you know, I want to play, he gets down on the floor, he wants to play. Here's the thing, you know, I've, y'all have seen this quote, I'm sure, I wish I was the person my dog thinks I am, right? I mean, just love dogs. They have personalities. This is a little Pomeranian. He's only going to be uh, six to seven pounds, so he's not going to get much bigger than that. They just, we, we love, we had a dog, we had Misty that was um, for about 14 years, and so we love this kind of animal and this dog, and we know it's going to be a part of our family. Well, I was thinking about that this week when I read a story about another breed of dog that I like, which is a basset hound. Now, look at that. Seriously, there are cat people when you have pictures like this, right? All right, the last two, I mean, basset hound. And I was reading this week about a basset hound named Tattoo, okay? And basset hound named Tattoo, this is a story ran in the Tacoma Washington paper wanted to go out for a walk one night with his owners and they did not know he followed them out to the car and when they shut the door his leash got caught in the door and so it's okay so tattoo went on an evening jog beside the car as it was going now They got stopped because a cop on a motorcycle noticed that there was something running beside or dragging beside the car. And so he stopped him and rescued Tattoo. He was perfectly fine. They did say he probably got up to 20 to 30 miles an hour running at some point and probably took a few tumbles from the way his fur looked, but he was fine. Now, he did not ask to go on an evening walk for a long time, all right? Now, here's what I love about the story about Tattoo. Now, that's not Tattoo. That's just some random Google basset hound, all right? Here's what I love about that story or why it's important. I don't love it, but it's why it's important. There are a lot of us, and we've been talking about this concept of margin and breathing room. There are a lot of us that, if we're honest with ourselves, are kind of like Tattoo. We've got caught going at a speed that we should never be going, doing more than we should ever be doing, spending more than we should ever be spending, but we're caught. Now, we just go as hard as we can to keep up the pace. When I was a kid on the playground, I was not a fan of the merry-go-round. You know what I'm talking about? You know, where you get on and you would hold on to, you know, it's just a circle, a a little bit off the ground, usually concrete around it because when kids get thrown out, it's what you need to catch them, right? And uh, poles just coming out of it. How many of you remember the merry-go-round? They, do they have those? My guess is that in modern playgrounds, those are a safety hazard, all right? But you know what you did on a merry-go-round. The idea that most people thought when they put a merry-go-round in a playground is you sit on it nicely and you just leisurely turn. Is that what you did on a merry-go-round? No, what did you do on a merry-go-round? You got on there, what does somebody do? And the faster you go, the funnier it becomes, Right? Unless you're on the merry-go-round. Now, some people love that. I do not. And when you would begin to say, I mean, there's that, you know, there, there is that threshold point when I don't care about my credibility as a guy. I need to get off of this thing, right? And you start going, I, I need off, I need off. And what does the person do in that spinning? If they stop it, let you go. Is that what they do? No. Today, they call that bullying. Back then, we called it playing, all right? You just... And they start just going faster. And you want to get off, but you can't. I've been talking about this concept of breathing room because there are a lot of people 
that their life is kind of like it's on that merry-go-round. Going around and around and around and around, faster and faster and faster, more money, more problems, more issues, more schedules, more... And they just keep spinning. God didn't call us to live that way. He called us to have breathing room. The, The problem is when you live your life at that pace... There's always the danger. Now, some of you have been living there for a long time. And we've talked about breathing room as that space between your load and your limit. And there ought to be some space in between there. Some of you have been living at that pace for a long time. But at some point, there's going to be something that's going to snap. One last email. One last project. One last bill when you open up the mailbox. One last diagnosis. One last appointment, one last sick kid or ailing parent, and you break. God didn't intend for us to live that way. And many of us just think that's how it's supposed to be. And we end up caught in this cycle of what has even gotten a psychological term now because people are doing it so much. Now, there's a complicated term that I don't even really know how to pronounce or talk about, but the basic idea is they call it hurry sickness. And there are a lot of us that seem perfectly okay that are caught up in hurry sickness. Now, they give some symptoms of it, and some of them are kind of comical and we think are funny, but they go to a deeper problem. But some of the symptoms include things like speeding up daily activities. And it's all you're thinking about while you're doing anything is what's next or how fast this can end or what can happen next or what's going on next. You don't pause. So you talk faster and you type faster and you drive faster. And when you're listening to somebody, you nod faster, hoping that they will talk faster so you can finish this. When you pull up to a red light and the light is red and there are two cars positioned there at the red light, in your mind you're calculating which one of those is going to take off fastest. When you're in the grocery store and you begin to know you're finished and you're looking at lanes to choose, you start to calculate the cashier and the line and the items per square inch in the cart. And you think, I got 14. I don't think they'll notice in the 10 items or less line. Or you get in the 10 items or less line and you are mad at the person that's got 14. Just hurrying up. In our culture, we, we... end up having so much to do, we think we got to do it all at one time. So you begin multitasking, right? That's the correct term. Doing two things at once, three things at once. you got four browsers open on your computer. you got your computer going, your TV going, and your phone going all at the same time. And you're using second and third and fourth screens. And you got two monitors because one monitor isn't enough. you got to have two monitors. I saw a member of our church who remained nameless because I don't know that they saw me or know that I saw them driving one day, talking on the phone, eating a sandwich. And my thought is, what's steering? Right? I know it couldn't have been a pleasant conversation because food was going in while the phone was going, all right? Just multitasking, doing stuff over and all together at once. The problem with all that is when we get in that rut, when we get in that way, when we get in that process, we begin to squeeze important things out of our lives. 
things become more important. Projects become more important. Goals become more important than the actual people that are around us or people in general. Uh, I heard this week about an airline pilot's favorite story from his years flying. And he said that his favorite story from his years flying is of an older couple that got on the plane and, and um, they, were, uh, they were taking their time getting on the plane. And there was a businessman behind them that got behind them on the way to the gate and then got as they were at the ticket counter and through the gate and he was just fuming. I know that's hard to imagine, but the pre- they just weren't moving fast enough, right? I know you've never been in your car having to be somewhere and get behind somebody going speed limit. I mean, heaven forbid, all right? And they got behind him, and they, so they get in, and they, they get into their seat, and the guy in front of them is just frustrated, you can tell, and the meal comes, and as the meal comes, they've got to get out, and they've got to, they make a way, they, they accidentally block the people coming down the aisle with the food, because they've got to get some pills to take while they're eating their food. And while they're in the midst of getting the pills out, the, the gentleman accidentally drops his duffel bag into the lap of the businessman. The businessman fumes a little bit. And then when they all get their food and sit down, the businessman shows his disgust. And the only way you really can on an airplane, he puts his hand on that button and slams his seat back. Food goes all over the gentleman. So the stewardess comes by and says, can I help you? The attendant, can I help you? Can I do anything? He goes, I'm sorry, ma'am. He said, this is our 50th wedding anniversary. We're flying somewhere special. This is the first time either one of us have ever flown. She was like, well, how can we make it up to you? She said, can I get you a bottle of wine? He's like, sure, that'd be great. So they come and they bring a bottle of wine. The attendant uncorks it and hands it to him. And the older gentleman stands up, stands in front of him, and just pours it on the head of the guy in front. Airline pilot said, the thing that made it my favorite story of all is as soon as he did that, everyone in the cabin gave a standing ovation. Now, I'm not condoning pouring things on people's heads, all right? But it points out that there are so many times in our lives when we just got to get to the next thing that the people around us suffer. And the truth is, oftentimes it's the people we care about most that suffer the most from our hurry sickness. Because here's what we do. We just begin to pass stuff off to them. Honey, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't make it home tonight. I, I, um, or I'll, I'll be there about, about an hour late. I, I know that's right in the middle of supper and getting everything together. But I know if you could just handle it for me this one time. Babe, I'm sorry. I, 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 this thing got scheduled. And I know we had that. I know we had that appointment. But, but this got scheduled and I, I can't move it. It's, it's something I got to do. I know, I know this is your first recital and I would love to be there. And I will be there. It just may be a few minutes late. And when our schedules and our lives and our finances get so packed, we start to hand stuff off to the people around us and basically say, can you take care of this for a little bit? Can you handle this for a little while? Can you hold this for a minute? And the truth is, we're all in relationships where that has to happen sometimes, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship, if you have a spouse, the the truth is there are moments in all of our lives when one has to cover for another here, there, somewhere, short time. But the problem becomes when it becomes all the time or extended. Because eventually it's going to be too much. And the weights that you're handing to people, they're going to drop. 
Sometimes we don't know what the trigger is or the trigger seems minor. In fact, if you talk to people, it'll be like, all I said was pass the ketchup and she threw it down and stormed out of the room. All I did was tell her I was going to be five minutes late and when I got home, she was gone and I don't know where they went. All I said to her was, honey, I'm going to miss the first few minutes, but I'll be there by the end of the program. And she's in her room with her door closed and the music's so loud, I can't understand it. All it was, all I said, all I did, but it's been months, years of piling up things, saying, when this happens, it'll be better. When my schedule, it'll be better. When this, when we get this cleared up, when that happens, when here. And before long, we realize we've been living for too long at the edge with no breathing room. And here's the truth. You don't have enough time to do everything that you think you need to do. In our culture, in our day, you do not have enough time and so you're going to have to choose some things to let go take your bibles and turn with me to daniel chapter one daniel chapter one Here, here's what we're going to talk about this morning all right we're going to do this quickly we're going to look at daniel one many of you are familiar with the story some of you may not be Because there's not enough time in our lives to do all that we need to do, then we have to choose certain things to leave off. Now, a few years ago, Andy Stanley wrote a book called Choosing to Cheat. And basically he says that everybody in life has to cheat something. And the question we ask is, we must ask, what do we cheat? Or we must choose to cheat well. Now, it's funny because he said when he wrote that book that the publishers did not want to publish it with the title Choosing to Cheat because nobody likes cheaters. In fact, if I were just to do a quick poll and we weren't in the middle of a sermon and you think I'm going somewhere with it, I could say, how many of you like cheaters out there? How many of you? Nobody, right? But he said the truth is we all cheat something in our lives because we don't have time to do it all. So we've got to learn to cheat well. And in Daniel chapter 1, I want to take an example that having to do with schedule, that having to do with time, that having to do with money even. But it shows how to choose when our loyalties are tested. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Now, here's the idea, okay? Daniel's people, the Israelites, God's people, people from Judah, have been captured by the Babylonians. And they want not just to kill them all or destroy them, they want to eradicate their way of life. And so what they want to do is they want to take some of the best, youngest, and brightest, bring them to Babylon, teach them to be Babylonians, and that way wipe out Israelite culture and make them all Babylonians. That's their goal. So in chapter 1, verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, which, by the way, just letting you know, if you're looking for baby names sometime, the book of Daniel is amazing. I mean, just in this chapter, we've got Ashpenaz, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, all right? The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, okay? Most of these would have been young men, what it says, teenagers, Without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the 
Chaldean language and literature. So he says this, hey, I want you to go and I want you to find the best looking guys that are the smartest, the top of the top, and I want you to bring them here and we're going to teach them our language, we're going to preach them our culture, we're going to teach them how to be like us. And then with the best and brightest of who they are become like us, we can send them back to do that to the other people. That's the goal. The king assigned them in verse 5. Daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. Now, let, let me ask you a question. In a kingdom, who eats the best food? The king, right? And the people that are around the king. So is this good food they're going to have? Absolutely. This is the best in the kingdom. Here's the thing. In their day and age, especially, everybody else could eat manna or bread or whatever they could find, but the king was going to eat well. Now, you also have to understand what they ate in the king's palace were the leftovers from what people brought to sacrifice to the pagan gods. The reason that's significant is people were expected to bring their best to the pagan gods to sacrifice, and when they were done with it, whatever was left over, they took and the king's chefs and cooks created these masterful meals for the king and his court. And he says, I'm going to bring these guys in. I mean, this is, a, this is an opportunity. Daniel is a guy who has been on the Israelite side, the Judah side, that were destroyed by these people. And they say, we have a special program. We're going to take the down and out, and we're going to bring them into our place, and we're going to give you an opportunity to be a part of this kingdom at a high level this is like they're running an apprentice or an america's got talent or an american idol where they've chosen these guys and they're giving them a seat at the table literally an amazing opportunity they were trained for three years and at that time they were to serve in the king's court i won't go through their name changes but they change all their names because they're trying to make them babylonian verse 8 Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. And here's what I want you to, to, to realize here. This is a food issue. And I know that there are lots of people out there that want to make this into a food issue. And you can debate that. I mean, there are Daniel plans and Daniel diets and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that's bad. But today, I want to focus not on the food. Okay? I want to focus on the choice. Because Daniel has two people vying for his loyalty. He's got the king of Babylon who is in control of his home nation, who does to people that don't agree with him things that aren't nice. The one that has given him this opportunity, the one where his current place and future lie, the one that is in control of his situation here that's one side. On the other side, he realizes that eating the king's food is acknowledging the reality of the gods they worship. That's the issue. It's not what kind of food it is. It's that it was sacrificed and you were worshiping and saying, I agree, thank you to the pagan gods for my food. And Daniel says, I'm not going to do it. 
I want you to remember where Daniel is. Most of you know the end of the story, and so you say he made the right choice. Of course he did. That's what he should have done. It's easy in that place. In fact, we teach our kids this. It's not going to be easy, but when it's hard, you still got to stand firm. Even when the rest of your friends are going one way, if it's not the way God would intend you to go, you stand firm. I want you to stand where you are, and it sounds so easy from this side of it, but the truth is Daniel had a difficult decision. I mean, the God he served, it tells us in the first part of Daniel, in the first two verses, is the one that allowed the Babylonians and entrusted them to take care and destroy the nation. The God that he served, he could think, had abandoned him and walked him watch, walked, watched him walk out of their lives. The God he had served wasn't there when the Babylonians took him captive, or at least that's what he could think. But he chooses his loyalty well. He realizes that what makes him unique as an individual is his relationship to his God. And he will not give up the unique for something that somebody else can fill. Here's the truth about me. There are two things in my life that are unique to me that nobody else can do. There are lots of things in my life that somebody else can do. There are other roles that other people can fill. In fact, most of the stuff, all of the stuff in my life, except for two areas that I know of, somebody will do. Somebody will take my place. Somebody will step in. I mean, the truth is, I love being your pastor. It's been a great six and a half years, and I hope there are many more years to come. But at some point, I will not be doing this anymore. Somebody else will be here doing this it's a role that i can be replaced in because it's not unique to me but there are two places that i am uniquely called to one is to be the husband of susan nobody else can do that job that is my calling my unique calling and at this moment in my life and for the past 15 and a half years, and for the foreseeable future, God's call on my life outside of my relationship to Him is to be a husband to her. The second thing is, there's nobody else in the world that will be Eli, Luke, Maddie, and Ava's dad. And so when I'm considering things in my life, when I'm considering work opportunities and social opportunities and extracurricular opportunities and things that I like to have fun with, they're all good and well. But if they begin to impede on what is unique to me, then they need to go. We have to learn to choose our loyalty well and ask ourselves the question, do we really want to give up what is unique to us in order to do something that somebody else can do. Daniel looks at a situation and he says, the thing that's unique to me and to these guys is that we believe in Yahweh. We believe in God. And our choice, if we're going to have to cheat something, we're going to cheat on the Babylonian side. Now here's the thing that's amazing about the story to me. It's not that Daniel just thought about it. It tells us at the second part of verse 8. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. He went to the official and he says, ah, we got to do something. Verse 9, God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official, but the chief official basically said, listen, I would, I would allow it, but 
hey, the king has ordered it. I'm afraid what would happen if he saw your faces and they were thinner and he asked why. And you say, because we haven't been eating the meals that you've been giving us. Why have you been eating the meals? Well, the God told us not to. The king will not like that. Verse 11, I love this. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadmach, Reshach, and Abednego, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine and gave them vegetables. Here's what Daniel does, okay? It's a three-step process, and here's the truth. Some of you right now are at that place where you are on the verge of that last email, that last project, that last diagnosis, that last thing is going to tear you down. You're going to fall. You're going to drop all the stuff. Some of you, your families, you've been passing stuff off to them right and left for years, and they are about ready to drop it, and you need to know, okay, how do I move forward? Here's the thing. The first thing you have to do is you have to decide to do something. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make up your mind to do something. Daniel says he determined in his mind not to give in, not to defile himself. And then he set a plan. Well, here's the thing. I'll take it. And for 10 days, I'll only eat this kind of stuff. And so you, you, you decide in your mind. You make up your mind. And then you set up a plan. You, you work something out. You think through it. You pray through it. You ask God to help you through it. And then you take the bold step to do something about it. You step talk to your boss talk to your family for some of you that means that you need to make up your mind that there are some hours at work that you've been working that you can't work that much anymore and you need to have a conversation with your boss and i say it's an easy conversation but maybe it's hey i've been working about 55 60 hours a week and i for my family's sake i just can't do that anymore Pastor, you don't know what he will say when I go in there. You're right, I don't. If, if I walk in there and say that to him, I'm looking for a job and my family doesn't survive. Do you think there were any potential consequences to Daniel talking to that guy? Yeah. Like, death. Some of you need to look at your schedules and say, listen, I know that I want my kids to play 14 sports this fall, but we're only going to play seven. I'm just joking. Or my kids have been playing sports every day for the last three years. We're going to take a break. But they'll get behind. They'll never be a professional baseball player. No, they're not going to be anyways. But that's. But there are four camps that if you don't go to these camps, then you won't get into this thing. If you don't get into this thing, he's not going to be able to play high school ball. If you can't play high school ball, he's not going to get a college scholarship. If you don't get a college scholarship, he's not going to get drafted. I can't. Never mind the fact that he hates it, but he's got to. For some of you, it means looking at your schedule and saying, listen, this is, we're doing this on Tuesday night and this on Friday night, and we've got to figure some way out to get that clear. For some of you, it means looking at your finances and saying, we are right up against it, and this has got to go. Now, your plan needs to be short-term and long-term, so you can't make... Listen, if you owe $14,000 on credit cards, you're not paying it off tomorrow. Because if you could do that, you already would have done that. 
but you start. If you've got 14 engagements this week, you may not be able to get rid of 12 of them, but you start. Daniel makes up his mind. Here's what I want you to understand as well. Daniel makes up his mind and they prosper. Now, not all of Daniel's decision, even in the book of Daniel, not all of God's people's decision in the Bible become immediately successful, right? What happens to the rest of Daniel? Is there any consequences to their action in the rest of Daniel? Daniel defies the king. Where does he end up? In the lion's den, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they defy the king. Where do they end up? In the furnace. Now, they, they rescued from it. God rescues them, right? And so, but they went through the furnace. They were there. They were there in the front end. I mean, you can see the tension in their voice when they say, our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to praise his name. Our loyalty is there. And as you come to the end of this series of messages on breathing room, the easiest thing would be, man, that was some good information. And man, yeah, we're living too fast. We'll deal with it when we can. Because next week we're moving on. We're going to go to a little less controversial subject. We'll talk about Hosea, right? When God told his prophet to marry a prostitute, okay? Maybe not less controversial. That's where we're going. And so it's easy just to kind of move on to the next thing and whew. We got through that. We didn't make any major. Whew, I'm good. Perhaps the Lord today is telling you to decide. And maybe that means scheduling an appointment with your boss this week. Maybe that means not registering for that spring sport. Maybe that means clearing some time out of your Thursday night game that always happens or your get-together with the girls that you do every week. Because the only two unique things you have in life for me are my wife and my kids. And if everything else suffers and they prosper, that's more important than everything else prospering and them suffering. Let's pray together.